Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Hey, before we begin, I just want to give a little warning that um, today's content is a little more adult in its um, subject matter. So if you are a child who is listening to this podcast on your own, I would really encourage you to go talk to your mom or dad or an older sibling and make sure that this is appropriate for you to listen to if you are an adult who is listening to this with your child, again, I would greatly encourage you to listen to it beforehand to make sure that what we cover today is what you would like um, your child to hear. So I just wanted to give you that warning before we begin, and this is a great story, and I hope you get a lot from it. David was bored. It was late afternoon. He had done a lot of stuff, gotten some training in for battle, done his Sudoku, watched the Brady Bunch marathon on TBS. I mean, he was bored. He'd done a lot. It was late afternoon and he was getting a little stuffy in his house and, man, what should I do now? See, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says that David was at home. And it says he was at home during the springtime when most generals or most kings fight their battles. And there, David, he should have been out fighting his battles. He should have been out there. And in fact, his army was currently fighting a battle led by his best general ever, Joab. They were fighting at a city called Rabbah, and they were fighting the Ammonites, and David was probably reading that morning in his newspaper the success and lack of success that Joab had had, and the Israeli army had had against the Ammonites. It was sort of a mixed bag of news, but David should have been there fighting with them, but instead he's at home. Now, why is that? I mean, you get the sense that David is in a spot where he should not be. 
Yes, the Lord has given him rest on every side from all his enemies. And yes, they have one of the largest expansions of territory under David's reign. And David is sitting high on the hog. He is doing awesome. But what David doesn't realize is that what is about to happen will change his life and the course of his throne forever. What is about to happen is going to change the course of his life and the direction of his kingdom and kingship forever. And it all starts because he's in the wrong place. He's not where God wants him to be. Have you ever been there? You're at a place where you know you shouldn't be. Your mom and dad told you you shouldn't be here. Your mom and dad told you you couldn't be with this friend in this situation. You know deep in your heart, I should not be on this website. I should not be in this area of the internet. I should get out of here fast. I should not be at this party. I should not be hanging with these friends, but I'm here. I'm here, but I shouldn't be. And right there, that's the beginning of a lot of trouble, and it is for David. Well, David, he's bored, and he's thinking, you know what, I'm going to go up on my roof. Quite often it would get hot in the spring, and their houses didn't have air conditioning, so they quite often had flat roofs where they had a little garden and a little oasis, and they would hang around in the cool breeze of the evening up there, and sometimes they would sleep. It was a great place to relax, and David's like, you know what, I'm going to go up there. And he runs up the stairs, and he slams the door behind him, and he's on top of his roof. Oh, that cool breeze, Yes. And he goes, you know what? Hey, servant, I want a smoothie. So the servant goes over and makes him a smoothie. And he's drinking his smoothie, sitting on his lawn chair, doing the Jerusalem Gazette crossword. And he gets up and he stretches. And yes, he can look over all of Jerusalem. He probably had the best spot in all of Jerusalem to look around at his wonderful city. And he looks over and... Wow. David sees the most beautiful sight he has ever seen. He sees the beautiful Bathsheba. His next door neighbor is on her roof. And it's late afternoon, and his next-door neighbor, the Bible says, was very, or is very, beautiful. She was a beautiful woman, and David likes beautiful women. I mean, at this point, he has seven wives. Hey, you're beautiful? Be my wife. You're beautiful? Be my wife. And on top of that, he's got, we don't even know how many girlfriends beyond his marriage. They call them concubines in the Bible. He's got a ton of them. I find you beautiful? Be my concubine. Be my girlfriend. But you're married. It doesn't matter. I'm the king. I can do what I want. David is a man who is driven already by his lusts. And when he sees Bathsheba, wow. Because it says in the Bible that Bathsheba was bathing. 
She was in a bathtub, and I don't know how much David could see, but he could see enough that he kept looking and looking and looking, and he liked what he saw. I mean, right there, David should have looked away. Why do I know he was looking at something he shouldn't have been looking at? Because he was a married man. Yes, he shouldn't have had six to seven wives, but still, he was a married man. He shouldn't have been looking at another woman lustfully, but that's what David was doing. And at that point, he had a choice. He could have looked away. But that's the way sin works, right? It draws you in. It tempts you in. And you look longer, and you look longer, and you look longer, and you want to keep looking. That's how sin works, but it's a choice. You can choose to look away. But it's so hard, isn't it? Sin drops this little bait and hook, and we're like fish. Oh, it looks like a nice little piece of meat. I just want to look at it. I just want to play with it. The book of James in chapter 1 says that's the way sin entices us. It's like a little hook, a little piece of meat that we don't understand. If we bite that meat, there's a hook in there that will set in our jaw and we'll be dragged away and we will be enticed and we will sin. Right there, David could have stopped looking, but he didn't. He kept looking and kept looking. And then not only did he keep looking, he wanted to find out who this was. He delved right in. And he told his servant to run over and find out who this is. Well, he finds out. The servant comes back. Her name's Bathsheba. Ooh, Bathsheba. Huh? And the servant comes back and says, it's Bathsheba. And Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam. Well, Iliam was one of David's mighty men of valor. Oh, I like Iliam. And Bathsheba, she's beautiful. And then... He's thinking, wow, she's royalty. She's of a high social standing. She's a babe. She's beautiful. And then the servant says, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The wife, and maybe the servant started nodding, the wife. Hey, David, the wife. We should leave. We shouldn't be staring at her because that's somebody else's wife. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Right there, David should have said, all right, you know what? I'm married, she's married. Hey, this won't work out because we both need to be faithful to our spouses. Of course, I have six or seven, but I still need to be faithful to my wives. And he should have walked away because she's married. She's off limits. Hey, it's done. He knows the law. He says over and over again, I love the law. And he understands adultery is a sin. He knew Leviticus 20 verse 10 that if any man or woman was caught in adultery that both of them would be stoned. That was the penalty. David knew that. And at that point, second chance to make a choice, to end this, to walk away. Well, David does not listen to either choice. David does not choose either way to do what is right. In both those chances, he chooses wrong, and he asks for the servant to invite Bathsheba over to his house. And as the night begins to fall, he probably winds and dines her and talks with her. And then it says that they sleep together. David commits adultery, has sex with another man's wife. 
And then when the morning comes, she sneaks out the door and goes home. David thinks, Ha ha! It's done. I gotta be with a beautiful woman. Maybe I'll make her my wife someday when Uriah dies. Maybe that one servant, I'll pay him off so he doesn't speak out too much about this. But everything's great. And then... The next day, three days later, a week later, I don't know, here's a knock on the door and the servant of Bathsheba hands a note to David and he opens it. And he looks at it. And his face goes from happy to absolute fear. (gasps) All the blood runs away from his face. He's pale white. (gasps) Bathsheba says, I am pregnant. I have your child. David, I'm pregnant. What are we going to do? What can I do? According to Leviticus, we should both be stoned, but I'm the king. I could probably get out of it. But So he had a choice, number one, to stop looking, right? He had a choice, number two, to walk away because they're both married people. Now, number three is a choice right here. He could turn to God and confess. He could go to Uriah and confess. He could say, I have sinned before both of you, and I have failed both of you. Please forgive me. And who knows how God would have forgiven and shown redemption and mercy to both Bathsheba and David. But instead, David chooses to hide his sin. I'm not letting anybody know I did this. No, I, I'm not letting anybody know about my sin. I, I, it's too embarrassing. If I get caught as the king having sex with another man's wife, especially another man, Uriah the Hittite, you know who he is? He's one of Joab's men of valor. He's out there fighting on the front lines. He's in the military, and I'm having sex with his wife back home. Nope, that will not play well in the press. I have got to hide this sin So David thinks, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, that whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's what the Bible says. You know, if you conceal your sin, if you conceal your transgression, if you try to cover it up, it's only going to get worse. But if you confess... And forsake. That's what David could have done here, but instead he chooses to hide it. And he says, all right, this is my plan. So he invites Uriah the Hittite to come back to Jerusalem from the front battle lines for a little R&R, rest and relaxation. And he invites him back and he says, all right, Uriah, I want you to just take it easy. You have been fighting for me. Well, go spend some time with your wife. Enjoy her. Go sleep in your own bed. You know, have fun with your wife and just enjoy it. And so Uriah talks with the king and is probably highly honored and that. And then he starts to head home, but doesn't. Uriah instead goes to sleep with the servants at the king's door. See, David is thinking, if Uriah goes to sleep with his wife, then that baby that's inside of her 
It's Uriah's. It's not mine. It's Uriah's. Yay! And Uriah will think it's his kid and everything will go great. But Uriah foils the plan. He doesn't go and sleep with his wife. Instead, he sleeps with all the servants at the king's door. And David wakes up in the morning and sees that Uriah hasn't even gone home. And he says to him, why? Why, Uriah, why didn't you go home and spend time with your wife and relax? And Uriah says, why would I do that? When my fellow soldiers, my fellow countrymen, are roughing it in a field, when the Ark of the Covenant is under a tent, right there in the middle of battle, why would I go enjoy all this rest and relaxation when my fellow soldiers are fighting? No way, David. Man, David's thinking, you are a person of character, and that is foiling my plan. So David thinks, all right, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? All right, all right, all right, let's do this. Let's do this, all right? So so he invites Uriah home that evening and starts to ply him with drink and food and drink and food and gives him lots of drink and eventually gets Uriah drinking so much, Uriah gets drunk. And he's thinking, all right, Uriah, go home in your drunken state and you'll forget about sleeping with the other soldiers and just head home. And so Uriah stumbles right back to that same spot. He is not going to go relax, not as long as his fellow soldiers are fighting. David's like, what am I going to do? Now, some people think Uriah had caught on what had happened, and he was playing David for a fool, which I sort of like, but probably, I think probably a better answer is Uriah was a man of character and it's true, I am not going to relax when my fellow soldiers are fighting. That is a characterful thing to do. So David thinks, what am I going to do? I can't be seen as a king just getting another man's wife pregnant. This is just horrible, especially somebody fighting on the front lines. And then David... At this point, he's an adulterer. But this next step, this next choice, this next decision made by David makes him a murderer. David chooses to kill Uriah. Now, how do we go from a man who is called, in the Bible, a man after God's own heart, a man who wrote all these beautiful psalms, the sweet psalmist of Israel, how do we go from that to a person who decides to murder an innocent man to cover up his sin? Because Uriah is the innocent party in all of this David is all about consuming his own lust and expanding his harem and having more wives and more concubines. Well, Uriah, he's just married to Bathsheba. That's his only fault. And it's not his fault. He married the most beautiful woman around. Hey, pretty good. Way to go, Uriah. But not only that, Uriah is fighting 
He's in the military fighting, doing the right thing. And when he comes back, he doesn't sleep with his wife because he's doing the right thing. Uriah does the right thing over and over and over again. And he is going to get killed for it. Well, David hands Uriah a note. And he says, Uriah, I want you to take this to Joab. When you go back to the front lines, don't read it, but just take it to Joab. And he's like, all right. So Uriah goes back. And as he gets closer, you can hear oh, yeah, the yelling and the clanging of the swords. And he hands this note to Joab. And I can imagine Joab's up on a horse and he takes it from Uriah and he opens it. And Uriah says, that's from King David himself. All right. And so Joab reads it. And he looks over at Uriah. And he looks over at the note. And he looks at Uriah again. Because I wonder if Joab thinks, I have to do David's dirty work. I'm the one stuck having to kill Uriah. Because David commands in this note, David commands Joab to take his fighting forces into the hottest part of the battle and then at the right moment to pull back, leaving Uriah exposed and defenseless and the Ammonites will kill him and all of David's worries will be over. So Joab probably crumples the note up, throws it away, throws it in the fire. And he leads his army into battle against the Ammonites. And he pushes them all the way to the gate. And, and then he pushes the Ammonites all the way back towards the wall of the city of Rabbah that they're fighting. And at this point, if you were a good military commander, you would have pulled back a little. Because on top of the wall are men shooting bow and arrow. And they're shooting arrows down at you. And the closer you get to that wall, the easier it is to get hit by the arrow. But Joab knows this. And he knows the closer I get, the better a chance I have of killing Uriah. But you know what? The closer he gets, yes, the greater chance of killing Uriah, but also the greater chance of killing hundreds of other brave Israelite men who are fighting in the army. And that's what happens. Yes, they push closer. And these arrows come flying down and they kill men after men after men after men. But one of them, the arrow is pulled back and it flies and kills one man. And when Joab sees that one man killed, named Uriah the Hittite, he pulls back. Then he sends a note to David. And I wonder if it was written in some angry language, in some very rough writing, and he sends it via messenger to David. And he says in the note that he was pressing into battle and they had him near the gate and how many men died. And please do not be mad. And the messenger is like, but what if the king's anger rises when he realizes how many men died? And then he maybe he underlined in the darkest ink he could find. Fsh, fsh, 
the next phrase says this. Many of the king's servants are dead. And in probably bold letters, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. He wanted to make it clear to David that Uriah was dead. Don't you dare get angry at me for doing bad tactics because we achieved what you wanted. Uriah is dead. And so the messenger comes back, hands him the note. He begins to read it. And David looks at it and oh, there it is. Uriah the Hittite is dead. And maybe the messenger is trembling because he's worried that you know, David's going to kill him for giving him this bad news. But David then says, all right, I want you to tell Joab this. The sword is going to kill who the sword kills. The sword devours now one and now another. Just strengthen against the city and attack again. Overthrow it. Encourage him. David is such a hypocrite. He's like, oh, the sword devours who it devours. Don't feel bad about losing all these men. Just attack again. Encourage him. And he seems like such a kind nice king but it says he goes back and it says when Bathsheba finds out that Uriah her husband has been killed she mourns and goes through a period of mourning and weeping and I think fake crocodile tears not real at all because as the minute that mourning period is over David marries her, and she becomes his new wife. And then later on, she gives birth to a new baby, and everything looks awesome, and they're celebrating, yay! And they're cheering, yay! And there's David with his eighth wife, Bathsheba, and their beautiful new boy, and there's probably trumpets playing, and everything is fantastic. And David is sitting on his throne thinking, I did it! I have a new baby. And I have a beautiful new wife. And that little sneaky plan I had about killing Uriah is all, you know, it's hidden. It's under the table. Everything's taken care of. Everybody's in my back pocket. Things are great. But the final sentence of chapter 11 says this. But the thing... That David had done displeased the Lord. David thinks he got away with something, but he hadn't. The Lord saw what he did. David thinks he got away with something, but he hadn't. Why? Because he's hiding sin. And the Bible says, if you hide your sin, you will not prosper. David thinks he got away with something, but what he doesn't realize is he set into motion tragic events that will impact his family for years to come that will cause trouble and more trouble in his life than he could ever imagine. And what were those things? We'll come back next week and we'll hear more about the tragic story of what happens next. David was at the height of his kingship at the beginning of chapter 11. But at the end of chapter 11, 
he's an adulterer, and he's a murderer. All because he chose to look at something he knew was sin. And that's why I want to encourage you. David made choice after choice after sinful choice after sinful choice. And the Bible says the way out is simply this. If you try to hide your sin, you will not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13. But if you confess and forsake, you will find mercy. I would encourage you, if you are caught in an addiction, if you are caught in habitual sin in your life, confess and forsake. Stop hiding it. Talk to a parent. Talk to your mom. Talk to your dad. Talk to a good friend, a colleague. Confess. Tell someone. And then forsake. Run. You know, when David stood there on top of the house looking at beautiful Bathsheba, he didn't run. He didn't forsake. You know who did? You remember the story of Joseph? And he met the beautiful Mrs. Potiphar? And Mrs. Potiphar was all seductive and telling Joseph, Hey, come on over here. But Joseph did not stay and stand there and linger. No, you know what Joseph did? He ran. He got out of there. And I just want to encourage you, when you are faced with sin and temptation and you feel like this is too overwhelming, I want to give in. Run. Get out of there. Go find something else to do. Go hang out with other people, godly people who can encourage you. Run. Get off the internet. Shut it down. Get out of there. Don't be like David and linger over temptation. Because eventually, temptation will pounce. And as James 1.4 says, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And you know where sin leads to next? Death. I just encourage you, confess and forsake. Confess and forsake. And you will find mercy. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.